You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. I would love for you to open up to uh, Mark chapter 1 with me there. Uh, and um, and uh, yeah, oh yeah, my other, my other update uh, as you turn there is I'm, I'm real excited. Ali and I are both excited. We actually got a reboot, reboot of the 1990 Nintendo uh, system. We have a Switch, but we don't play it because everybody knows games, video games in the 80s were just balling. They were so good. And uh, let me just tell you, and I thought at this age I could go back in and uh, kill and just play really well because I'm mature now. And I got in there and I'm at like one o'clock in the morning like with Master Shredder and I'm like, how is this so hard? Why is this? Why would they do this to children? Uh, it was, was, uh, was one of the takeaways there. But um, as you turn to, to Mark chapter one, um, if you're new here, we're usually making our way through whole books of the Bible. Uh, from left to right, and uh, we are in a series uh, called um, The Suffering Servant, as we are in the Gospel of Mark, and you guys are kind of in trouble because your boy got through about 30% of his notes last service and then realized time was up, and so there's nothing worse than a preacher with a full outline and not enough time, uh, so you guys are about to hear it from me now, uh, get, get the good service, I guess, uh, but we are in, in the book of Mark, and, and Mark has a very specific um, task. You know, he's a very staccato writer, and he's got the actions and the events, and it almost makes you a little bit unhinged, a little bit nervous of, of there's no narration, there's no closure. Even if anyone's closure, why did that happen? What's going on? What's going to happen next? And that's what um, Mark is, is doing is, is he's not just explaining who Jesus is. He's introducing you to what he's like. You know, if you met somebody who didn't have the narrator, the Morgan Freeman, or the person to introduce to you who they were, you would kind of have to figure it out on your own. You have to gather your own evidence and make it a verdict on your own. And so um, that's why we have four gospel accounts. If it was just one side of Jesus, we just have one book. We actually have four different books because there's four different witnesses, four different people looking at the same person, explaining different sides of them. Um, You know, first and foremost, that he is God, that he is the I am. The same one that talked to Moses is the same one that Jesus was speaking, uh, the the same person that that we see when Jesus is speaking. And that's why John, the major essence there of the character of God as as God, as as not just the... the, um, the, the rabbi in Nazareth, but the, but the king of the universe, the cosmic king. Matthew tells us that uh, he is the promised king, the Jewish uh, Messiah that was promised long ago. He's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron. He's better than David. He's better than all these people. Those were types of the, of the ultimate king. Luke is always coming to a meal, leaving a meal, because there's nothing more human than breaking bread with people. And he wants you to know that not just that he's God, but he's also a man, that he had flesh and blood, and he's tempted in all ways, except he didn't sin. sin. And so that's why... Um, uh, in comparison, in juxtaposition with those three other books, we can understand the target, the bullseye of what Mark is here to do. Mark is here to tell us that he is a suffering servant. Um, it was the picture of the, of the Roman, Roman underneath, Roman, Roman underneath the boat that you don't see. You're getting suntan up top. You're having a nice cocktail on the top of the boat, but you don't see the person underneath the boat pushing the thing forward. The kingdom of God coming, not just because he's a nice guy or because we finally got it and light bulbs came on, because somebody came to die and take the sins of the world as the suffering servant. He, he says in Mark chapter 10, the memory verse, which is also the thing that's written uh, at Culver's, uh, if you ever go to a fast food restaurant, that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. He is not a trampled rose. He didn't come here by accident. He got a word from a father at the beginning of his life that he never let go of. And he walked it out through, our, through your wilderness and mine to give his life, not to have his life taken from us that we might have life and life abundant. And so that is, uh, that is our task in understanding one of the character uh, traits of Jesus. Um, one thing that I want you to know about me uh, is that um, uh, I am very uh, scared of heights, and I'm very, also very squeamish of um, bodily ailments. Um, I did not get a good grade in anatomy and physiology because I just don't like to think about it. I don't want to think about your capillaries. I don't care to. I don't even want to think that I have a spleen. I don't, I don't know, want to know what it does. I don't want to pa- give you the answer on the test. I've never talked to my spleen. It seems like it's doing its job. I don't know what it does. I don't like to think about it. I don't like to think about um, fungus. I don't, yeah, okay? I just don't want to think about all that stuff. Um, I, I, would, I told the Kyra, I finally, you know, when you finally name somebody, you put your finger on something. I just want us to, like, I want us to be like cartoon characters. I just want you to be like Mickey and Minnie and Bart or something. And like, I just want to think you have eyes and nose and ears. And that's about it. I don't want to know that you have other things going on. You know, like that's, I don't want to think about it. Um, I, uh, I do um, get very squeamish about giving blood. I eat applesauce now, so I don't pass out. But it used to be like on the dime, just, just pass out. Like I would just like pass out. This is how squeamish I am. Um, when I was a kid, 
before I knew what Dramamine was, it was like, <laughs> like, it's almost like you'd rather get caught off guard, like, you know, somebody just, like, rip a Band-Aid off. Like, what is the psychological experience of a seven-year-old being like, in 48 hours, I'm going to sit on the plane, I'm going to look at that doggy bag, and then I'm going to pick up that doggy bag, and I'm going to throw up into this doggy bag. Like, as a seven-year-old, it's like how nauseous I am. There it is. I look at it. It looks at me. I'm like, you and me, buddy. I sit there in 7C, and I'd be like, we're not going to have a good time. The flight is 21 hours long. I have restless leg syndrome, even though I don't know what to call it, and I'm going to have a date with, with throwing up. My son, my son, Ollie, right here, he's like me. This is how you solve that if this is you. He, literally, me and Ollie are the same way. We don't actually say throw up. We just say, he says TH row up because just even saying it just makes me think uh, how much I, I don't like it. Oh, we made it up. Okay, sorry, buddy. I was trying to throw you under the bus. Rose and Leo made that up as a, a tall tale. It didn't really happen. Um, uh, we oftentimes don't like to think uh, about, none of us really like to think about sickness. It's not a very pleasant thought. Um, those of you guys that work in the, in the medical world, you guys live in that space and you see people's faces and how they come and go. Like people are made to go there. They don't want to go there. Nobody says, oh, it's Saturday. I want to go visit the hospital. You know, people don't want to go there. They don't want to see probably somebody walking around with a bad nightgown on, you know. They, they don't want to see the flowers and the balloons in that kid's hallway while he's on that bed. They don't want to hear that lonely beeping noise of whatever machine's that we're not supposed to be needed to run that person's body, but now are necessary to run that. Like, we don't want to go into those hospitals because we don't want to think about sickness. Because sickness is connected to all sorts of things that we don't like. Sickness is connected to weakness. Sickness is connected to humility. Sickness is connected to, to lack of control and vulnerability. Sickness is connected to death. And so if we, we, could, we could do so, we, we would like to avoid it if at all costs. But um, as, as, a grown, as a grown human being, as a pastor, you know, I, I'm... Uh, Confronting sickness is, is not only uh, an essential thing, it's a necessary thing, inevitable thing. Um, you know, it's, it's harder and harder for me, for example, you know, for, for my dear wife, you know, when she, she's over here and, and we've had four kids, you know, and to look at my dear wife who's gone through labor, delivered babies, and just be able to say to her, I'm sorry, honey, I have a headache, I just can't make it today. I have a, I have a cold, I just can't do any work, you know, like at some point we kind of grow up and grow into it, and we understand um, that, uh, that we are not on this earth forever, and, and our physical life has a beginning um, and, and an end date. And that it's important that we reckon with sickness because sickness, this is the point, uh, is a deeply spiritual thing. How is it, you know, that somebody that goes on and on and on and doesn't resolve conflict and, and past wounds and history, you know, and has unforgiveness towards their parents, that somehow that unforgiveness can get connected to sickness? What does my relationship with my dad have anything to do with my spleen? Well, apparently, a lot, <laughs> according to medical studies. Um, I don't know if you've ever, you know, you, you, you for example, you know, you, you know as much scripture as you did uh, yesterday. You, you know, you had the same experiences, the same testimonies, the same faith as you did yesterday. But if yesterday you were full and rested and, and you had your physical needs met, but today you're hangry, I'm sorry, but there's a pastor one time that said you have to give the Holy Spirit something to work with. Sometimes it's not that we need more prayer. We just need a nap because you could be spiritually well but physically sick. And those two things, those two things um, have to work, work in tandem and harmony. And even Paul says, you know, like, we're fools if we think what we do with our body does not affect our soul. Jesus, you know, Paul instructs us, you know, in the book of Corinthians. Like, sin, sin is a category, or sexuality is a strong category in the category of sin because he says that, that sexuality is a sin against the body. He says that when two people go into a party and hook up and come out, out of that room, they're two separate physical entities but inside, spiritually, they've been bonded and amputated forever. And so the fallacy, the myth that spiritual can be separate from physical and physical separate from spiritual is a very dangerous thing. In fact, that's exactly what the writer James says. If you guys remember at the end of James, he says, the reason why we know that faith without works is dead is because the soul can, cannot be separated from the body. In other words, humans love to try and create a physical world that is separate from the spiritual world, but they're indelibly and inextricably linked because spiritual is physical, and physical is spiritual. What we put into our body and what we say and what we do and the way that we, 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 we run our health is deeply spiritual, and therefore, and, and likewise, the way that we run our spiritual life does have impact into our physical life. And so here's, um, here's kind of the main um, uh, message that I, that, that I want to talk about today, and, and that is th this on the board, um, that sin is not just legal, sin is medical. 
Sin does not just mean we're guilty. Sin means we're sick. Sin is a sickness. The true gospel is that all people have fallen short of the glory of God and therefore are sinners and therefore deserve death and receive the penalty of death. And one way to talk about that is that gospel is that sinners need salvation. But another way, and a synonymous way to talk about salvation is not that just that, 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 that people are sinners that need salvation, is that a synonym for that salvation is that sickness is a sin and Jesus is the only one that can heal it. Sin is a sickness and salvation is a healing. So when we open up our Bibles today, you know, we see that everything that Jesus was doing was a servant. He didn't just visit servanthood, he was a servant. He didn't serve as a middle school teacher so that he could become a principal. If he was here, if he were you, he would serve as a middle school teacher so he could still serve as a principal. Service wasn't an activity, it was an identity. Everything Jesus did was serving. Jesus loved as a servant, he healed as a servant, he teached as a servant, he died as a servant, he rose as a servant, he sits at the right hand of the Father of all heaven and earth to still be a suffering servant. He didn't visit serving, he is a servant. And so the servant gets moving, and you're following around. And in the book of Mark, he, he puts us as characters in the story of pretty much every other character except for Jesus. If you're reading the book of Mark so that you can figure out how to be Jesus, the seat's taken. <laughs> That's, that role cannot be tried out for. But we are the leper, and we are the paralytic, and we are Matthew and Mark and John. We are these disciples that are watching, and we're watching him. We're seeing not just his work, but his ways. And what we're seeing is the specific ministry that Jesus chooses is healing, the healing of bodies, which we should pause and just stop because we've read a lot of Bible and we just get inundated and we just sort of think, oh, another miracle, here's what Jesus did. Jesus does cool things, right? But let's just think about this for a second. Why does Jesus choose his ministry to be a healing ministry? Why does he choose to do that? There's a show, remember this? Um, they would take a full-time mom and she was a single mom and she had the kids and you're crying about halfway through the episode, you know, and, they, and I don't know, it wasn't the show, the, the show I feel like was just called like Move That Bus. I don't know. All I remember is, they would take the single mom, and she's crying, and she can't book groceries, and they give her like a bajillion dollar house, and they put it behind this house, and the big reveal of the show is they get to see the house, is they, there's a bus in front of it, and then they say, move the bus, and you move the bus, and there's a new house, and they lose it. Jesus could have done a house remodeling ministry. It definitely speaks to the remodeling of our heart and the renovation of our spirit. Like, Jesus could have done that. Jesus could have, should have, would have gone down to inner city schools and taught kids how to read. Wouldn't that be a great idea? Go teach kids how to read. That's how you, you know, you would, you would have inroads of trust and love and preach the gospel and speak about the wisdom and writing the law in your heart. You know, there's all sorts of things. Jesus could have, um, uh, Jesus could have, have, unlike Michael Scott, right, promised to give people scholarships and actually gave it his scholarships, right? He could have given scholarships to kids um, on their way to college. This would have been a wonderful way to bring, the, these are all relevant ways that you and I might give, you know, bring, bring. But Jesus didn't choose a scholarship ministry. He didn't choose a reading ministry. He didn't choose a move that bus ministry. He chose a healing ministry. And we should kind of set aside our presumption like why that would be. Is, is, is Jesus doing a healing ministry because healing because healing's just a great metaphor for salvation? Like is, is healing a metaphor? Like Jesus came for a certain time to do a couple of magic tricks so that you would see a blind guy get well and be like, oh, I get it. I'm spiritually blind, so therefore I shouldn't be, right? Is that a metaphor? Is he just doing a puppet, like a, a sermon illustration? Is that what it is? It's just a sermon illustration. Well, it certainly does that, but is that the reason he does it? Is Jesus healing people because it's sensational? I mean, that's, I mean, somebody getting healed. Like, I mean, give a person a million dollars, move a bus. You know, that's pretty crazy. But like a, cancer, a kid with cancer getting healed? Like, that's a pretty miraculous thing. It would get a lot of attention. It would get a lot of PR. Did Jesus heal people because it was sensational, because it was attractional? Was it miraculous? Is that why I did it? Is he doing it because it's the method? Because when you're hearing the beeping sounds on that little machine and everyone else has abandoned you and you're not just physically sick anymore, you're spiritually sick and your heart is sick and your hope is deferred and somebody comes in there and touches you when you haven't been touched and heals you in a way that you couldn't be healed, you'd be much ready, more ready to follow him. Did he do it because it's the method? Did he heal people because it's the method? Did he heal people because it's the miracle? Did he heal people because it's the metaphor? I'm going to suggest those are all wonderful things that happen because of Jesus' healing ministry, but it's not the reason Healing itself, as we are going to read on and, and kind of process today, in Jesus' hands, the ministry of healing that he does to physical bodies, still does to physical bodies, is not like a salvation. It is a part of salvation. Jesus' ministry for healing was not a means to the mission. It was part of the mission. Sickness is a kind of sin, or sin is a kind of sickness, and salvation is a kind of healing. Look at the screen there. The Greek word for salvation is sozo. Sozo, sozo means to be delivered and to be healed. 
The complete package of sozo is healed and delivered, so delivered minus healing is not sozo, and, and healing minus deliverance is not sozo either. So, sozo is a holistic picture of somebody that's been delivered and healed. Sozo means that sin is a prison. It's not just a problem. It's not just a little habit. It's a power, and it's a principality, and it grabs hold of people, like Cain, right? It creeps at the door, it conquers you, and you can't get out of it. And so salvation is deliverance from the Romans, deliverance from the wrath of God, deliverance from uh, the world, the death, and, and sin, and decay. It's, it's deliverance from the evil around us, the prison around us. He sets us free. The Messiah comes and sets us free from the evil around us, but doesn't stop there. Sozo and salvation also doesn't just solve the problem of the prison of sin, but the poison of sin. The you and I, like Noah, got, get drunk on our, on our wine, on our sin, and it's a poison, and it distorts everything we see and everything that we do. And it reinterprets things on our own terms and makes us think we're king. And if we're delivered on the outside without being healed on the inside, that's not the full salvation. Jesus came to free us from the prison of sin and heal us from the poison of sin. And without one of those two things, it's not the full sozo. So a sermon illustration for us, if you're more picture-oriented, it's like if we're in a fire, if this, is, if this house is on a fire, then we're in big trouble. And Jesus is the only one that can save us. And Jesus comes, and, and, and absolutely what he does is he comes with water, and he puts out the fire. Isn't that great? Isn't it great to be in the middle of a fire, and we're not begging people and mad about the way that people get us saved. If we're in the middle of a fire, we're just thankful that he put the fire out. But Jesus doesn't stop at putting out the fire. He comes in and rebuilds the house. It says in the, in the book of First Timothy, he didn't come to just make greedy people stop stealing. He comes to make greedy people generous. He didn't just come here to get us out of hell. He came to save and heal and deliver. And without that, it is not the complete salvation. So this is the picture that we'll get from Mark chapter 5. We'll get here in a couple of months. But when, Jesus, when you say salvation to Jesus, his inkblot first reaction is Mark 5.15. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons. This is the one where they put all the demons into the pigs. Jesus finds dudes that are full of demons. Demons of pride and, 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 and guilt and, and greed and shame. They're full of demons. And Jesus doesn't just empty people out of demons, but he fills them with the Holy Spirit. The full salvation is not just the empty of demons, but the filling of the Spirit. Not just deliverance, but healing. So look at what it says. This is, how, this is how an onlooker would see Jesus' finished work, the finished work of, of salvation. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man, and they knew his before story. Dude was full of demons and talking to himself. And now, he's not only not occupied by demons, the demons are no longer bothering him. Matter of fact, he's sitting there, not just waiting to get to heaven, clothed, wise, poised, calm, full, rested, shalom. He is in his right mind. How does somebody do that? Go from death to life, from spiritual death to spiritual life? It's the miracle of salvation that somebody is coming to him both captive, right, and, 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 and stuck and poisoned and prisoned, and Jesus frees them and sozes them to be delivered and healed of all their spiritual death. So why does all that matter? And this is the part that got me stuck on the first service, but I don't learn from my lessons, and I'm going to keep going. Why is it important to understand that salvation is not just legal, it's also, it's also physical, it's, 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 it's medical? A couple of ideas here, and just process this with me because I think probably your mind might already be heading this direction. But number one, it's important to know that salvation is a, sin is a sickness, salvation is a healing, because number one is, the sin is made of equal parts pride and, and pain. Like there's this guy, and it just the light bulbs came on, um, on this podcast that I heard the other day. And he explained kind of the diagnosis of like, not just somebody that you're mad at, but like a, like a textbook narcissist. Okay, we just throw that word around. That person, I don't like them, they're narcissists, right? Okay, so, but there are real people, right? And so it's like, do does, does any five-year-old, what do you want to be when you grow up? Does any five-year-old say, I want to be a narcissist, right? Like nobody, nobody wants to be Darth Vader, okay? But there are, there, there are people. So how does that happen? Well, he says, well, here's what it is. And it can help us with our compassion. He says a narcissist is basically somebody that gets hurt so bad when they're a kid, they just act like a child for the rest of their life. And they trust no one except for themselves or barely themselves. And so they don't even know what's up and down, they know what's right or wrong, and they lie, and they steal, and they cheat, and they manipulate, and they know how to cry and command, so they break everybody's trust, so they almost become a self-fulfilling prophecy of keeping people away from them, because ultimately they act like they love themselves, but deep down inside, they hate themselves. There's nobody, it's worse, I mean, how bad is it to be next to a narcissist? It's even worse to be a narcissist, right? So here's the problem, the struggle with sin as a medical versus a legal, is that is that the most proud person that's like really ugly and hard in your life, they're also deeply in pain. 
And how do you treat somebody for their pride when they're really just deeply in pain? But at the same time, even if you're not a narcissist, you can talk to people that are venting to you, and you can taste the, the point when their vulnerable, hurt, surrendered moment turns into a grasping, angry, bitter, prideful point. Have you heard them venting? And you can't separate the victim from the villain, can you? Or the villain from the victim. That all of us are processing our pride and pain simultaneously. So how do you treat them? Well, that's exactly how the medical world, I think it makes more sense when you see it from medical advantage. Number two, that sin is a symptom, not a, not a condition. When you come into the doctor's office, you know, and you say, man, I just have these headaches and I can't explain them and I can't sleep at night and I can't stand up in the morning and I keep throwing up. Well, one thing the doctor's not going to say to you is, hey, man, stop having headaches. <laughs> the doctor's not going to come to you when you have headaches and be like, hey, man, cut it out. I can't believe you came back in here, you loser, with all these headaches. They're not going to say, say that to you. In the same way that when you're, when you're coming to your, your rabbi Jesus, like the doctor's not surprised that cancer patients have spots because sin acts sinful. And so when you come to Jesus, he's not going to say, why are you still struggling with pornography, you idiot? He's saying, come close, I want to heal you. Doctors are not surprised when sickness acts sick, and Jesus doesn't act surprised when sinners sin. Like, come close to me. I want to heal you. I want to heal you. And that's the difference between a parole officer and a physician, right? Because the parole officers get it together. But the physician understands that, like, the patient doesn't want his sickness to some degree. And it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to speak to your healing. I'm not going to speak to your chastisement. Number three, that, that salvation is a process. That salvation is a process. Like, here's the thing. It's like, people, you know, we struggle with that theologically. Like, why is it that, like, Jesus heals people and sometimes people get healed suddenly and sometimes people get slowly and why isn't it just one or the other? Well, it's like, is poverty eradicated yet? Is sin gone? Are you and me perfectly, ethically clean? Do we walk out the truth of Jesus all the time? Are we saved? Yes, we are saved. But also we will be saved, and also we are being saved. And so the reference is, is like, if you're not well yet, it doesn't change the fact that from a positional standpoint, you are well, but he is working out your wellness. Just like, you know, the cancer thing, it's like if he calls you clean, that's as clean as you'll ever be. You are 100% clean, but he's also making you clean. He's also making you whole. He's also making you healed. We have to have a category for the already and the not yet of the kingdom of heaven coming in all these different ways. Number four, salvation is, 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 is general and universal, just the word general and universal, but um, uh, it's also very specific and personal. So if you go down to the doctor's office, and um, uh, I, 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 you know, I'll put it this way. Typically speaking, if you ask you know, a Christian on the Sunday school answer, you know, are you a Christian, yes or no, yes, what makes you a Christian? I believe that God made the world, and I'm a sinner, and I need to be saved by grace, and so God died for me, and he took my sins. That then the general principle that we understand the gospel is that sinners need salvation through Jesus. But if we understand it from a sickness healing standpoint, it gets a little bit more specific. If you get down to the doctor's office, and, uh, and they say, hey, why are you here? And you say, hey, I'm sick. What's the next question they're going to ask you? Well, what are you sick of? What are you sick with? And so this is the problem. If it's a general understanding of the gospel without a personal understanding of the gospel, we, don't, we can understand the general idea that we're sick. We don't know how we're sick. Here's the deal. When you go through the gospels, you'll notice it doesn't just say, here was a sick guy that Jesus healed. It says, here was a leper that Jesus healed. Here was a blind person that Jesus healed. Here's, here's somebody that was deaf that Jesus healed. You know why? Because it's easier to say, I'm, I'm generally sick without having to say specifically how I'm sick. That the healing of Jesus comes with the specific, there's no two people that came to him with the same sickness and no two people got healed the same way. In, in other words, it doesn't do me any good to say I'm a sinner without also saying I'm a, I am sick with passive aggressiveness. That I'm sick with a, a disconnected heart. I'm sick with pride and envy and lust. Like the specificity is the thing that precipitates the healing. And sometimes I think when we get this catalogical, legal understanding of a sinner that just needs Salvation, we don't know what we're sinning of, and we don't have the sickness that we need to be healed of. And so the, the specificity of you're sick in a way that I'm not sick, that I would be tempted to judge you and you'd be tempted to judge me, and, you're, and, and I'm sick in a way that you're not sick, helps me understand what life is like down here on this planet. That salvation is general and universal for all Christians, but it's also very specific and very personal. And lastly, salvation is a miracle. That on the end, end of a deathbed, nobody's saying, well, maybe if I gave more tithe and prayed more, and if I did more, then things would work better, right? Like, we know that there's a miracle, and so it is. Like, We can't save people by being nicer. We can't save people by arguing better. We can't save people by being more prayerful and powerful. Ultimately, it, it, salvation is God's work, and it is a miracle, and it draws a, a healthy, sober line of what gets things done down here in terms of understanding uh, sickness as something that God can heal. 
The gospel is this, yes, that we are sinners and we need to be saved, but it's also this, that we are all really sick. We were born with all sorts of different ailments and deformities and addictions and propensities, and we need to get healed, and Jesus is the only one that can heal them. So today's message today, uh, the long version, is called Doctor's Orders, uh, and I'm calling it that uh, because um, uh, you are not the physician, you are the patient, and maybe you got to be a med student for a day and follow the physician around, and, uh, and you're going to notice a couple of, of, um, of common things as you go from room to room and visit the different you know, uh, people that have different ailments. Um, and, uh, and so the three patients that we're going to visit today, and you're going to be kind of the medical student too, is, a, is a, a leper, a paralytic, and a tax collector. Um, and so if you play the little game of which one of these is not like the other, probably one of them sticks out more than the other ones. But yet they're all really the same. The two of them are physically sick, but all three of them are spiritually sick. And all three of them need Jesus to heal them. And so I called it doctor's orders because sometimes when that call comes in, you get so excited about the call that your lumbers are down and that you're going to go home and things are getting better that you forget to listen to the orders. But the call always comes with orders. They always come with that little paper bag that they send out with you with all the gummy bears or whatever it is that you're supposed to be eating. Now, who knows what's in there? Uh, with all the stuff that's in there to clean, clean your wounds. When we hear the call to not forget the orders, and these are the three orders, not just for lepers, but for us, to be clean, to be forgiven, and to be well. Patient number one, the leper. Uh, verse 40, a man with leprosy comes in and begs him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was moved with pity, and he reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed, and Jesus sent him at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere uh, they were. So if you're a good med student, you know, you're following around, you're realizing that the, uh, the patient that you're looking in front of is a lot like, not like the last healing. The last healing was just a simple fever. It was a general thing that everybody has, but leprosy is like a real, real, uh, a real um, uh, exaggerated, a really crazy you know, uh, um, ailment to have. And so if you're a good med student, you, know, you remember the lecture from Le uh, Le uh, Leviticus 13 and 14, whereby basically um, the treatment of a leper is not very hopeful at all. If you see a spot on a leper's arm and it's red or it has white hair, or it's deeper than the skin, and you send them away for seven days and it's still there, they're in trouble. And not only are they in trouble for themselves, but they're in trouble for everybody else because it's highly contagious and it's irreversible. And so the major treatment from the Levitical law is not to be able to heal this person, but to at least to contain it. Like, it's bad to have COVID. How much more would it be bad to have leprosy? And you send them away. But there was a little bit of hope in the sense of the law. Moses said that um, you, could, you could go out uh, to the person and, and every year, let's say, check on them and see if the leprosy had, 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 had um, uh, gone back. And, um, and, and, and if it had, you could do this little offering. You know, uh, basically, they weren't very rich, probably, and so they had two little birds. And you could bring the two little birds to the priest, and the priest would do a sacrifice over the pot with a red little thread. And uh, he would kill one of the birds and let the other one fly free. And this would be a representation that the cleanliness had a payment, that there was one that would come to die for the sins of the world, and, and, the, and the Jesus would be the one that came to die, the, the dead bird, so that we could be the free bird to fly away, not the, not the Led Zeppelin song or whatever that is. Uh, free bird. Whoever does that. Pink Floyd? I don't even remember the name of that is. You could also um, put oil on your, on your ears so you would hear the word of the Lord, and your thumb so you could do the work of the Lord, and on your right toe to walk in step with the Lord to show yourself as clean. But even as a, as a med student, as you're listening to all this and the beauty and the hope that possibly that sickness and that prognosis could bring, you have to ask yourself the question, what is the percentage and ratios of lepers that are sent, sent out that ever come home? That the law has this really brilliant authority to contain sin but can't heal it, that can't reverse it. And Jesus comes with just one touch. When we put our, our sheets in the mud, the sheets get dirty, the mud doesn't get clean. And, and, and when priests come to talk... Um, to the unclean and touch the unclean, the priest ceremonially and physically becomes unclean. The unclean doesn't become clean. Jesus is different from any of us in the sense that usually when unclean stuff touches, or when clean stuff touches unclean stuff, the unclean stuff makes the clean thing unclean. When Jesus touches unclean things, he makes unclean things clean. And that's the, that is the hope that Jesus brings that the law cannot, that Moses is different from Jesus in the sense that the law can contain, but Jesus can heal, that religion can make rules and containers and laws but can do nothing to heal and to change on, on the inside out. And so he gives them this little, little warning that he's supposed to basically go to church. <laughs> hey, you're clean. Go to church. 
And it feels like the Bible, as crazy as the healings are for lepers, don't have a great track record for obeying Jesus after they're healed. Maybe it's just because they're too happy about it, right? But 10 lepers go out and only one comes back and even says thank you because they're just so happy. They go on vacation, I guess. I don't know. They don't come back to church. They're so excited about getting healed and, and clean. Maybe that's what it is. But uh, it made me think of this, um, this little uh, uh, sermon illustration where um, when I was 13, I had my first uh, uh, black toenail. Did you guys ever have a black toenail before? It's the worst, dude. I was, I was innocent and young and naive and had like, my flat little feet, and my feet were perfect. And I used to judge people with corns in the karate class and be like, why do your feet look like that? I'm never letting my feet get to be that crusty, you know, is what happened. And then it happened to me, so watch out. Uh, and so I would wear my Air Jordans too long, too small, and uh, I would bruise my toenails. And did this ever happen to you? The toenail turns black. Has this ever happened to you before? It's a whole experience. And I'm telling you, because I don't want to talk about this because I don't even like medical stuff, but I'm just trying to bring you the truth, okay, because I'm trying to be honest with you, Okay. Here's what happens if you bruise your toenail. It turns completely black, and it's about to fall off. You can't reverse it. I'm sorry. It's gone. If you had an attachment, you should say goodbye to it because it's over, okay? And it turns black, and people judge you, and you go to the beach, and they don't want to sit next to you anymore because it's just weird. Why is your toenail black? I just don't have answers. It's easier to keep you contained over there. I'm not even, I'm just not dealing with you, okay? But here's the good news. Here's what you don't know, okay? This is really awesome, is that um, after a couple months, I'd say about eight or nine months if this should have happened to you, that uh, actually what will happen to you is the black toenail actually falls off and there's a new toenail under there. Has that ever happened to you? Have you has that ever happened? It's amazing. It's amazing. It's like the whole time you're thinking, this stinks and this is ugly and then I have to wait. You know, I'm waiting three months for my Amazon package to get here, but my toenail falls off and there's a new one right there. It's amazing. Man, I, I hope this sermon illustration works. Uh, otherwise, that was a big waste of time. <laughs> Here's the hardest part about walking clean in this unclean world is that Jesus calls things clean even when they're not. And Jesus calls you and me and the sanctification and the circumcision of our heart something that it is when it doesn't act like it is. And so here's the the, the hardship and the process of walking out cleanliness when our habits aren't clean and our friends aren't clean and our minds and our thoughts and our mind maps aren't clean is Jesus calls things clean when they're not. And the unclean thing doesn't make Jesus wrong. Jesus makes the unclean thing wrong. So here's the truth about, about salvation from even a systematic standpoint, is, is we are not just because of the death, burial, and resurrection being treated like Jesus. What is true of Jesus is true of us. And, and, so, and so what is actually true about you and I, even when we don't act clean, is that even though our actions, behaviors, and attitudes don't match our identity, our identity trumps the, the actions rather than the actions trump the identity. You are not waiting to be clean. You are clean. Underneath that toe, and it doesn't look like that because you have 30 years of coping mechanisms that are not clean, and you have 30 years of movies and songs in your head that are not clean. And you have actions and you smell a certain way that people look at you in a certain way that keep telling you you're not clean. But if Jesus says you're clean and everyone else says you're not, Jesus is right and everyone else is lying. Yes. So, so this is the process of sanctification. The, the call of this leper and to you and me is not go make yourself clean. It is you are clean, so live that way. So coming to church, coming to church, and this is the hardest thing, is because we're all on the spiritual journey. And sometimes... Sometimes I see somebody's fruit and I make it my law. And it's hard because when you go to the gym, everyone's lifting different amounts of weight. And maybe, you know, they have a grace to carry that, but, but I need to understand I'm not carrying. This is what you're expected to do. You're expected to come to church, and it's not to come to church to clean yourself up. You're just expected to give your testimony. You're just expected to share what he did clean of you. And if something's not quite clean in you at this point, then don't say it's clean. Jesus is not saying sanitize. Jesus is saying, I want to create a miracle of clean in you, and if I say you're clean, you are clean. We are here to tell our story. We are here today in church not to try and pretend and act like we're copycatting somebody to left and right because we need to be around people that see into our identity past our actions. We need to be around people that when our actions betray the prognosis of what Jesus said about us, that what he says is about us is more important than what we're doing. And if he says we're clean, then we're clean indeed. He says be clean. That's the first order is that, is that we're not making clean things up, we are just living out the cleanliness. We are respond we're taking that little baggie that he gave home to us when, he, when we got healed, and it doesn't heal us, but it just helps to take care of our wound a little bit better. You're clean, so act that way. Meditate on the thought that I gave you. Give, give life to the desire of your heart that's being changed in your heart, and meditate on that day and night. Get, care for the cleanliness that I've given you. Don't try and take it on your own. All right, second patient, the paralytic. 
A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that they had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, man carried out uh, by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above. Jesus, by digging through it, above Jesus, by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Everything in us when we're trying to get healed, when we're seeking for our wholeness, is all about, it's, all, it's like Seinfeld said, it's always about up, cheer up, pick it up, work up, just get up, move up, right? But notice the direction, not only Jesus with the mother-in-law, but also the paralytic, is that the way, the way to healing is not up, but down. It's to come down to Jesus. It's to fall back into Jesus. It's to rest into Jesus. The healing is not in the upness. The healing comes in the downness, to be lowered. And so the paralyzed man is different, if you're the medical student, than the leper, because the leper was associated, that kind of a sin was, was, was a contagious issue, so the sin and the disease was connected to something done to you. But the, but the paralytic, if you're thinking about the pool of Bethesda, the understanding spiritually from the medical standpoint of somebody's paralyzed is not because of sin that was done to them, it's a sin that they were doing to others. The paralyzed man is, something, is, is, is a sin done to others rather than sin done to them. And so you can understand, right, that the pool of Bethesda, remember the guy for whatever amount of years is sitting there and he's whining about how people got ahead of him and he's angry and he's bitter and he's like Cain and he can't understand how to make, make light of his, of his life. That mat is his pride. It's the thing, what is the one sickness that makes all the other sickness sick. It's not knowing you're sick and demanding that you fix your own sickness. And it's, it's the sickness, right, that can't get him to Jesus unless you have friends. How many of you guys are thankful for friends that love you when you're pretty and love you when you're ugly? Matter of fact, they take your violence towards them as an invitation for more grace. And they won't, they won't let you kick, they won't let you kick uh, them away from you. And they drag you to church and they keep calling you. And they keep praying for you, and they keep pursuing you. That's the kind of faith, a corporate faith, that could actually impart onto somebody else that we could practice. And so here's this man, pride, prideful and sick, and even doesn't want to come to the house in the first place. His friends have to bring him to the house, and they lower him down into the roof. And what is that like? I mean, you're just out in front of, what if everybody here is, is here, and you come down half naked out of, the, out of the roof, like some type of an ACDC concert, right? <laughs> and you're just like dangling there, and you can't move, and you can't, like, you can't make decisions. Like, you're just helpless. And you're not even, you're only there because your stupid friends wouldn't let you skip church. You know, you just get dangled down in the middle for everybody to look at you. When sick people are sick and they see other people sick, there's no reason for a cancer one survivor to judge a cancer four survivor. Like, 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 the, like the trajectory, the faith is different in this room. And so he gets lowered down. And it's almost like life and Jesus are asking him this question all at the same time. Hey, man. I know you've been paralyzed for X amount of years and you've never walked, and, the, and at least culturally, they think it's because of the sin that you did, not the sin that happened to you. But here's the only question that really matters for you right now is you dangle above everybody half naked and can't move, humbled and humiliated. Do you want your pride or do you want your healing? Because ultimately, that is, that is the issue. Sometimes you talk to recovery patients and they've worked through the 12 steps and the alcohol rehabilitation and all the work that it took and you're saying, I'm not so sure you're not freer than me. And they've done the work because being healed means being misunderstood and confessing to people that judge you for it and working through your old habits and forgiving your parents and all these types of things, right? But, but, but if you put a price tag on that healing, is it worth the, cost, worth the cost of your pride? Do you want your pride or do you want your healing? Do you, want to be, do you want to be a proud cripple or do you want to be a humble walker? Verse five, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. I mean, that's the part that I probably get. You know, I come down here and I, all these people are hooting and hollering and there's lepers getting healed and people's fevers are leaving them and I get dropped down on the scene half naked and I can't move and he says, hey, you're forgiven. What? <laughs> I didn't come here for the forgiveness. I came for the healing, Jesus. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? This is like me going down to Furman University, which by the way is an arm and a leg now that I'm finding out as a dad, and just going up to students and being like, hey man, don't worry about it. Don't talk to the bursar debt's paid. Don't worry about it, man. Don't, don't, even, don't even take out the loan. Covered. I mean, this is kind of how we want to do politics sometimes. We just think that we just pay people's tuitions and nobody has to pay for it. Somebody pays for that, by the way, all right? Somebody pays. It's the question, do we want to pay for it? But somebody going to pay for it. There is no such thing as a free lunch. 
And just as you have help 12th graders understand, if you make more money, it's worth less money. So anyways, that's, that's the point, okay? Inflation's real, okay? But here's the point, and it does carry over in terms of economics and spiritual realities, right? Jesus isn't forgiving this guy because he has pity on him. He's forgiving him because he paid for it. Somebody had to pay for that forgiveness, so the authority that he's coming on is not just because he's God and he's because he's a nice guy, because even if you're God and a nice guy, it still can't solve the fact that if somebody kills somebody else, they owe that person something back. Justice doesn't just get solved with niceness. Justice gets solved with mercy. It gets solved with, with, with atonement. So Jesus has paid for this forgiveness. It's not just a good feeling of a rah-rah, you know, people getting in, 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 in a kumbaya session. It's like, I paid for a bloody death for this. So if you paid for something and somebody else got for free, it would make sense as a, as a Pharisee, who are probably the sickest in the room, by the way. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, where does this guy get off? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew his, in his spirit that they were thinking what they were thinking. And he says, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I want you to know that I don't just say, abracadabra, I love you, forgiven. No, it's paid for. And I have authority to heal your soul and heal your body because I paid for it. I paid for it at the cross. It's a fact. It's not a feeling. I want you to know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Yeah, I'll just do two points instead of just one like I did for the first service and close this down. Um, but um, I, you know, I, uh, I had done the whole Rise and Fall Mars Hill sermon uh, podcast thing. It's a, it's a podcast for those of you guys that maybe have processed church hurt before about the rise and fall of this mega church in Seattle the name Mars Hill with Mark Driscoll, you know? And so I had my whole thing. I'd listened to the whole thing, and I was like, closed it all up and tied it all up. And then I was like hanging out with a pastor, a friend of mine, um, who's no longer, you know, in ministry, uh, but they were like, have you listened to this one on Hillsong? And I'm like, I'm not going to get into this. Like, I just can't. It's just too much. I get the point. Churches can be bad. I get it. Like, I'm just like, I can't. I don't have the emotional quotient to get through it anymore. I feel like I had found my closure, and that was that, you know? And so, so I watched it. And so all the, what is the, the disclaimers? This does not represent the views of City Lights. I don't know who the, you know, it's not even a Christian movie. You know what I mean? Like, there's all these cautionaries. I'm not just saying for you to go watch it. I'm just saying I watched it, okay? So I watched this thing. And, um, and the second one, you know, has um, uh, really the aftermath of, of one of the main pastors. His name was, uh, uh, is Carl Lentz. And he was the pastor of Hillsong NYC, and he was really famous for being friends with Justin Bieber and um, Kevin Durant and um, Miley Cyrus or whoever, all, anybody you could think of, right? So he's buddies with him. And he's the most good-looking pre- preacher I've ever seen in my life, like, I can't stop looking at him. Like, his, when he chews gum, I'm like, why are you doing this to me? Stop it, you know? You're, me- you're mesmerizing, right? Okay. And so, I, okay, so you remember at the end of, like, you know, like, Robin Hood when, like, the Prince John gets sent out to Siberia and, like, the bad guy just gets sent off to that island and you're like, oh, gosh, you know? I mean, Kyra made this comment, okay? So, again, not my movie. It's not even a Christian movie. I would say there's cautionaries to it. But the point is, there was... I don't want to go into it to gossip. I want to go into it to heal, and I want to go in asking, what does this have to do with me? I don't want to go in there and, because church healing can't be gossip, right? That's not my business. So watch out for that. So, okay, but anyways, but I, I want to, I'm a pastor, and I want to know that if it, if it gets awful, like if it really does hit the fan, like is Jesus there? That's what I think I, I could tell you in my journal what I'm doing. So I go in there, and he's like, he just looks like, talk about spiritual and physical, he just looks off. Like he is not the same man, Okay feels that way. And it was crazy because like they have him like at the marketing place selling cars or something like that online. He still has like a leopard print shirt on, which is very like, it just shows you, well, that's who he was, you know? So he had the leopard print shirt and he still had great looking hair. And he sits down at this cubicle and he looked like Mr. Incredible. Like what happened to this guy? <laughs> like you were a superhero and now you work at, 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 at GE, you know what I mean? So he's like sitting there in this little cubicle. He shows up the little sales thing. He looks like Jim and Dwight are all there. They're like hanging out at this sales thing. And it looks like he's in Sy- Siberia. Okay. And, and so they talk to him. And he's like, he's just done. Like he's just not doing mystery. He takes his family to church. And um, he, it was like the most humble looking, and I understand they, they're probably selling something. Who knows? But he's sitting there on the table with the stupid ranch dressing that I've got. That, that, why, does they, why did they put the paper so it just looks like a savage just opened this the whole time of his existence? He's sitting there with the ranch, and his kids are gathering around, and what do you do? 
when you cheat on your spouse in front of the whole world and then have to come home and maybe give your life to a healing that never happens. Like, what do you do with that? And the father-in-law's there, and he's talking, and then they do the little talking head, and basically, he basically said two things. Like, these are my five. This is why I'm here. These people, this table, at the end of the day, I'm cashing out, and this is what I'm called to do. These are my five. And he said, I've done wrong things. He's like, I went to the counseling, and I've done the deep healing, and he's like, basically, you know, like, I was sexually abused as a kid. Why do people hurt people so bad? Because they've been hurt. And their dad hurt them. And their dad hurt It's like pride and pain live at the same place. Matter of fact, they germinate together. Pride, the soil of, of, of pain is a beautiful place for pride to grow. It's a place for resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness to grow. He said, all that stuff does not change the fact that I'm responsible and I'm accountable. And actually, we think that accountability and responsibility is the end of freedom. It's actually the beginning of it. And I look at him, it's just like that alcoholic analysis, and I'm not so sure. Like you think, oh man, that was the worst thing that ever happened to this guy because he was big and he fell and now he's, he's ashamed of the church. I'm not so sure that the guy that got knocked down off the pedestal to go sit at GE and sit with his Caesar dressing with his family is actually not the one that was more fortunate than the megachurch pastor that's still running and gunning as fast as he possibly can. I'm not so sure if that's not the best case scenario. Maybe he didn't just get, maybe he didn't lose it. Maybe he got found through that process. And so here's, here's, here's what I'll, I just want to, here's what I'll close with this, the thing I didn't get to say last time, but, and I still have other points. There might be a whole sequel. I mean, it's literally, it was a nightmare. I don't know what I was thinking. I literally have so many points. So you can't get healed if you can't identify your pain. And if you go out there and play on the field hurt, you're going to hurt yourself more. If you don't know, if you're just, I'm a sinner saved by grace, but you don't know how you sin, you're sick and you're not going to get healed. If you can't tell me where your leprosy lives and where your paralysis lives and when your fear lives and your shame lives, if you're playing hurt, you're going to hurt yourself more. And salvation doesn't mean to forget your sickness. It's to bring your sickness, to face the sickness and bring it forward in Jesus. But here's the point. Identifying your pain and bonding over that and connecting with people and just keeping talking about it. How many people know can name their pain, but they're not healed of it? How many people you know can sit there for 58 years and still be sitting in their pain because it feels good and they're not healed? This is what Jesus continually asks us, as if we need to be asked it. Do you want to be well? Because there are a lot of people that are sick, and they don't want to be well. They'd rather have their pride than their healing, and so they'll sit there for 68 years griping about stuff till their pain grows into their pride. So then you go to the counseling thing, and I'll save you all the money. You know what they're doing? They have a little sabotage. They're charging all the money. You know what they're going to do? They're going to tell you, you need to forgive somebody, <laughs> whatever it is. You got hurt, and you know how you get past hurt? You don't blame and project. You need to forgive them. But you know what the thing about forgiveness is? Forgiveness is kind of like that how-to video where the guy fixed the toilet and it's 19 times harder. Why is that video in the 20 minutes that how to, how to fix the toilet take me five hours? Am I just an idiot? Why does it not work? Everybody wants to tell you to forgive, but nobody tells you how to do it. And so you pay all the money, and I'm going to forgive, and woo-saw, I'm going to pretend like they're a little baby so I can compassion on them. And you know what I mean? Like you just have all these, like, how do you forgive somebody that literally took something that you can never get back and it will ruin the rest of your life? What do you, how, you just, how do you deal with that? And there's only one answer. There's only, you know, the Bible, the only one answer. It's in the Father's Prayer. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. It's in the, it's in the parable of the talents. The only way we forgive people of, of their sin is to understand the magnitudes of, magnitude of ours. Here's the real source of your healing. Actually, the source of your healing is not forgiving others. It's to forgive yourself. And it's to come to God for forgiveness. If you spend the rest of your life harboring your pain and blaming other people for why you're there, and I'm just working through my pain because they have caused me pain, and you never come. This is the problem. The, the sickest person in the room was not the leper or the, or, 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 or the paralyzed person, it was the Pharisee. Because the sickest sickness is not knowing you're sick. And a life down here of pain and pride is pointing to everyone else's sin and sickness and then missing the opportunity for your healing. It's to live with that projection that, you know, as bad as it is to be judged, you know it's worse? To be the judger. Because a person can't judge and forgive at the same time. A person can't judge and seek forgiveness at the same time. So here's the question for all of us, dangling in the room, naked as we came, ugly, and our breath smells, and there's beeping in the, in the monitors of whether or not we're going to live spiritually or physically, and we're dangling here, and that's always the question. It's not about them. It is about you, and it is about him. Do you want your pride, or do you want your healing? Because everybody wants to be healthy. Matter of fact, these days, we trade wealth for health. If you say something's not healthy, it's almost like saying it's the devil. You know, these days, we're so holistic. Everybody wants to be healthy. You know what? Healthy is hard. Broccoli is harder, and healing is harder. And it's rare, because it costs our pride. It will cost you forgiveness, it will cost you coming to the Father and admitting your sin. 
If you were full of Jesus, you wouldn't need their permission to be whole. You would walk around with the fullness of Jesus and you wouldn't have to worry about how other people are sick because you'd be so happy you weren't sick. So this is the question that I had for you um, to wrap things up, is how is your healing? I'll call the band to come forward. And, um, and I want you to walk out today when you ask yourself this question and you talk to your small group leader and all these things about, about your healing. Is healing is not something we do, it's something we've been given. And everybody wants to sell you the pathway in the book on the seven steps of success, and they're trying to sell you something you have. Here's the reality about your healing. You are healed. You are healed. You don't see it all the time. It doesn't feel like it all the time. You don't act like it all the time, but you are healed. You will be healed. You are healed, and you are being healed. And we are trusting his process, the great physician, because we're the, we're the patient. We're not the physician. And so what he's saying with sanctification is, you're clean, so go home and take the little baggie and go be clean. Commands never precede the call. The call happens, and then the command happens. You're clean, so don't get yourself more dirty again. You do have a new desire. You know why it's harder to follow Christ today than it was yesterday? Because you're more convicted of your sin, and you can't cope in the ways you used to cope. But you're actually, you're not actually more sick today. You're actually more well. Because before, you didn't even know of your own sickness. And so now you're in this place, right? So he's saying, so if you have a place, a desire, then figure out how to feed the cleanliness, water the grass that he's done, and not pay attention to the drought that you have over here on the other side of the yard, is, is if you're clean, then walk out that cleanness because he has already made you clean. To steward forgiveness. You, you are not working on your forgiveness. You, you are forgiven. And, and the righteousness of Christ in you is living inside of you. And so your nature is forgiveness. He didn't just switch charts with you at the hospital. He actually gave you the heart of Christ. And it's not just osmosis where he covers his eyes and pretends like you're not. He says he's looking straight at you and he can see beyond that nasty toenail and underneath all of your flesh is a new creation. And it's being birthed right now in your midst. And so you're not waiting on your forgiveness. You are forgiven. You are well. Following Jesus is wellness. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.